glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Daniel chapter 9, beginning verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the numbers of the years, whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. We just explained that. God had foretold they they were going to get... Uh, 70 years of captivity for their disobedience. They had refused to let the land rest through greed and covetousness. They'd refused to obey the Sabbaths of the lands, let the land rest. And so God uh, said, you're going to go 70 years into captivity and you'll not come out of that captivity. So through Jeremiah the prophet, he had said, go ahead, build you houses, plant you gardens. It's not going to be a short captivity. The captivity will, in essence, last your lifetime. If you are born at the beginning of the captivity, you're going to be an old person by the time it's done. If you're 30 or 40 going in, you're going to die before the captivity is over. So you might as well settle in to your, to your chastisement as a nation. He was chastising, judging the nation of Judah. And he said, settle in. That's what's going to happen. So Daniel read the book of Jeremiah, a contemporary book of the Bible. He read it and understood we're here for at least 70 years. And that wasn't accomplished yet. He said in verse 3, And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Now, in the Old Testament, that outward, that exterior of sackcloth and ashes was symbolic of the understanding of, of the season in which they were living and of, the, and of the disposition of the heart that the person was entering into. This is not a time for celebration. This is not a time for rejoicing. It was not a time for excitement. This is a time to take assessment of the dire spiritual condition he or his people were in and acknowledge that in an outward form by sackcloth, plain clothing, and ashes, and, and that he might humble himself and seek God. Verse 4, And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love Him and to them that keep His commandments, we have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from Thy precepts and from Thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto Thy servants, the prophets, which spake in Thy name to our kings, our princes and our fathers and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faces. As at this day to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and unto all Israel that are near and that are far off through all the countries whither thou hast driven them because of their trespass that they have trespassed against thee. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face to our kings to our princes and to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgivenesses, though we have rebelled against him. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore the curse is poured upon us and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. And he hath confirmed his words which he spake against us and against our judges that judged us by bringing upon us a great evil. For 
under the whole heaven hath not been done as hath been done upon Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us, yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth. For we obeyed not his voice. And now, O Lord our God, that hast brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and hast gotten thee renowned as at this day, we have sinned. We have done uh, wickedly. O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee. Let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city, Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but for thy great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake. O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. And whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing, and I've circled in my Bible, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation, and he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Verses 24 on down are going to describe what's called the 70 weeks of Israel, which refer to, and that 70th week is yet to come, the great tribulation. There's prophecy given there. But I want our focus to be on these verses here and the practicality of this. As I'm reading this text to you this morning, uh, let me me preach to us from the standpoint of us being Americans for a minute. This is not a... I'm not real keen on preaching national messages because I don't preach to the nation. I preach to you. So I'm not real keen on that. But we are part of the same nation. I think many of us are distressed over what we see happening to our country. Amen. I am. We see that we are more divided, we are more polarized than ever before. I've thought before, is it possible for America to be united again? After the Civil War, there was a reuniting to some great degree. Uh, God was merciful to allow our country even to exist after that great tragedy. But I wonder, what could unite us today? I can only think of one thing. What could, I mean, how could you get Democrats and Republicans and liberals and, and conservatives and Christians and non-Christians? I mean, where all can we agree at? I can only think of one place. We all have sin to confess. Truth? What would unite us is if we would all get on board with the truth and get honest with God. You see, Daniel here, if anybody in the nation of Judah had nothing to confess, He had nothing to be mourning over. You would say it was Daniel. He was the most, he and his three friends 
were the most upstanding citizens in the entire nation in captivity. You'll find nobody more godly than they. I I would point out a few things about Daniel's character that you can see throughout the book of Daniel. Number one, he is genuine. The Bible said he had an excellent spirit. You'll never find an ounce of insincerity in Daniel. Daniel 1.8 says, Now Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's meat and the portion of wine and so forth uh, in Daniel 1.8. Meaning, this was the life he lived was a heart he had toward God. It wasn't to please his friends. It wasn't to put on a show. It wasn't to look spiritual. Daniel loved God. Daniel feared God. And the man was sincere. He was genuine. Number two, because he was genuine, he was godly. When given the opportunity in a foreign land where his parents weren't watching, where, where his superiors that would care about how he's doing... Look, if you're already going into captivity for sin, why not just go ahead and enjoy the, the land and sin with everybody else? Right? I mean, look, at Daniel could say, well, I'm not going to defile myself with the portion of the king's meat and with the wine because maybe God will not allow us to end the captivity if we stand for what's right. Nope, that's already done. You've already been punished as a nation for your sin. So what good is it to serve God now? If it's not going to veer God's judgment away from us, then why care? Because Daniel actually loved God. He's godly. He wants God to be pleased with his life. He knows God is righteous, God is merciful, God is forgiving, and out of that heart, he worships God. And so when God said, I don't want you eating that meat, Daniel said, then I won't eat it. And if I have to die, I'll die, but I'm not going to eat it. The three Hebrew children had the same mentality. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we call them. Uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, their Hebrew names. They said, we will not bow to that image. We're not going to commit idolatry. Do you know how easy it would have been for them to commit idolatry? What's the consequence if you commit idolatry? Ooh, you'll go into captivity. They already were. Big whoop-de-doo. <laughs> so why not join all the rest of the Jews and go ahead and start committing idolatry? Because they love God. Do you know how easy it is to be a compromised, lukewarm, carnal believer in this day? Nobody will give you a hard time for it. They'll praise you and start a new church movement around you. If you're a carnal, compromised believer who says, well, it's the culture we live in. Everybody is just but dust. We all do bad things and that's why Jesus died because we're bad and broken. And so be bad and broken. Hey, you know how easy it is to do that? My goodness, if you get a handle on that, you might get a book deal. Make a bunch of money for teaching other people how to be carnal Christians. But there are some that say, I love God. I want to please God. I want to please Him with how I think and I want to please Him with how I feel and I want to please Him with what I do and I want to please Him with who my friends are and I want to please Him with what I eat and where I go and Jesus died for me and I just want to serve Him. Does a person like that have anything to mourn over? I find the nearer you are to God, the easier it is to mourn. Hmm? Here's why I asked the question at the beginning. If you're not mourning, that's a measure of your distance from your God. I believe that. Because the nearer I am to God, the clearer I can see myself. Now, friend, this is borne out throughout Scripture. How many of us understand when I say praise and worship, those two words married together, it's taken on a new connotation in our culture. Praise is go- it's wonderful. Praise is when- We've been praising God all morning. When you talk about who God truly is and what God has truly done, that's praising God. But praise and worship has become a celebratory, uh, how shall I say, 
something inside a building we call church, and it's in 30 or 40 or 50 minutes of celebration and excitement, getting people worked up in their emotions. And very rarely does anybody mourn. May I say this? Worship throughout the Bible, on a very rare occasion, worship involves someone getting extremely excited. Normally it involves someone on their face. Nehemiah worshipped God and he mourned and wept and confessed his sins. There was rejoicing later. I find Daniel came close to God. God is near him and he is near God. And the nearer he gets to God, the more the more concerned he is about himself and his people. And Isaiah, we mentioned him last Sunday in the close of the message, chapter 6. He said he saw the Lord in the temple high and lifted up. And then he said, woe is me for I am undone. May I say this morning, if you can sit here with an attitude of self-justification, and by the way, if we, can, if we ever start getting in that mode, I don't care how long we've been saved, where all of a sudden everything I do is right, I am far from God. That's all there is to it. When I am rich in spirit, I am poor in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and so here, Daniel is poor in spirit, and therefore he mourns. And I just said about his character, he's genuine. He's godly and he's gracious. Here's a man who knows how to stand without being ungodly in it. So, for instance, in Daniel chapter 1, he purposed in his heart not defile himself with the, the, the portion of the king's meat with the wine that he gave to drink. And he knew that he could cost Melzar, the man overseeing him, his life. So he said, let me do this. Let me do this. Give us pulse to eat. Test us. I don't want you to put your head on the line. I don't want my stand to kill you. So he's gracious. Daniel chapter 6, when he's gonna, he's commanded by his civil authorities to stop praying. If you pray, you're gonna be throwing the lion's den. The king signed it. Bad law. Bad law. Daniel didn't go down and shake his fist in the face of Darius and say, you're the most ungodly king ever lived and you deserve to hang. It was true. Darius did deserve to hang. That's not what Daniel did. You know what Daniel did? He also didn't do this. Now listen to me. He didn't shut his windows and pretend he wasn't praying. He didn't board everything up and say, well, we're going to go ahead and pray, but we don't want anybody to know. You know what he'd been doing before the law? Opening his windows three times a day and praying toward Jerusalem because that's what 2 Chronicles 7 said to do. We don't pray toward Jerusalem today. We have the Spirit of God in our hearts. You don't pray in any direction or to one place. We worship God in spirit and in truth. But because Daniel was worshiping God in spirit and in truth, he opened his windows toward the holy city of Jerusalem and he prayed three times a day. And when they made a law, said, you can't do that. You know what he did? He changed nothing. He just kept doing the same thing. He opened his windows and he prayed three times a day. He knew who was behind that law, no doubt. I'm not telling you he didn't have to battle with bitterness toward those men. I'm just telling you he did what was right, godly, genuine, and gracious. And they threw him in a lion's den for it. And then, of course, God spared him, pulled him out, and God took care of them. He threw them in a lion's den. <laughs> now, today, I'll just tattle on me. I am very good at confessing someone else's sins. How about you? Yeah, we're pretty good at that. You, you may not be. You say, not me, preacher. I'm not like, well, bless your heart. I'm glad for you. I'm not saying we should be good at it. I'm talking about by nature. Very good for me to confess somebody else's. But how about our own? Here's generally what we do. If God will prove to me that I've done something wrong, then I'll confess it. He's got to work hard to prove to me I've done something wrong. And that's our our nature. But I do believe we can get close enough to God where we have a heart like Daniel that actually begins to see sin the way God does. Let me ask you this before we move forward. If I were a prophet, and I'm not, in the sense of foretelling, 
if I were some kind of a prophet and say, here's what's going to happen in the United States of America. We're going to have COVID number two. It's going to come again. And what's going to happen this time, this time, more restrictions, more rules, more communism spread, more whatever, until we're all said and done. When it's all said and done, literally, China is going to overtake our nation. They're going to overtake our government. And they will decide who's going to continue to live in the United States and who's going to live in China. And they're going to take the strongest and best among us, our best workers, our most intellectual students. They're going to work. They're going to have a system to prove out who is intelligent, to plug them in uh, to the, the People's Republic. And they're going to move those people over there and put them to work. Our young people are going to be exported from the United States. You're talking about exporting without tariffs and importing. They're going to import who they want here and export who they want there. And for the next 70 years, the best and brightest Americans are going to serve the Chinese, the, the People's Republic of China. How many think it's a great idea? How many of us would be happy about that? We'd say, no, that's not right. I got news for you. If God decided to do that to this country, he has every right. He has every right. So what happened to Judah? God warned them. God told them. God blessed them. God blessed them. And they thumbed their nose at God and worshipped the creature more than the creator, worshipped what he made more than worshipping him. They offered their babies to Molech like we do. Yeah? Here's what happens. We, we, we can get the mentality deep in our soul that somehow we deserve to be blessed or we deserve to be preserved. Not so. Here's Daniel feeling the consequence of decisions he didn't even make. But saying, Lord, you're right in what you're doing. You are righteous in what you're doing. Let me just say this. If we ever get to the point where we question God's righteousness, we are in a bad way. Let me give you a couple more points about this in Daniel 9. His character is genuine, it was godly, and it was gracious. He is a perfect illustration of Titus 2.11 through 14 that the grace of God teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Daniel is an Old Testament picture of Titus 2, 11 through 14. Number two, we've seen his character. I want you to see his contrition. In verse 3 of Daniel 9, it says, And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. If I'm Daniel, and it's chapter 9, I would say, Lord, it is your choice servant coming to you. I'm just, again, we're talking naturally. I, I pray I would not do this, but... Lord, this is your choice servant. You do remember the stand I took for you when I was first taken into captivity. I'm certain you're happy to hear from me because I can tell you about how many of my fellow Israelites that did not stand right. And Lord, I can tell you about a lot of friends that bowed, but my dearest friends did not bow. So God, I'm sure today there's no need for me to humble myself. I've got nothing to be ashamed of. Here I come, your choice servant, Daniel. I got some things I want to ask you about. Now, how Daniel approached God. He'd get his sackcloth and his ashes and he fasted and prayed. The Bible says fasting in the Scripture. If you study the effect of fasting, it's not to get God's attention. God, look how much we're afflicting ourselves. And God says, oh, look at how they're afflicting. No, no, no. Fasting is not about affecting God as much as it is us. Fasting is a chastisement of the soul. It's self-discipline to say, you know what? I need to be told no. 
I need to be reminded of how weak I am and how dependent upon God I am. And God, I need to, I need to express to you through this that I have some things I am deeply burdened over so much that I'm not going to forgo what is, what is evil. I'm going to forgo what is good so that I might get my attention on you. Nothing, eating is good. It's not evil to eat. Putting it out of way, changing your garments, saying, I'm not going to dress up and look nice. I'm going to give, I'm going to portray what I really am. Sackcloth, drab. Why do we dress up? Because you have to, you have to make these messes look better. It's true. If you saw me the way I look when I crawl out of bed, you'd say, please go do something. Right? So we comb our hair and brush our teeth and put nice clothes on because it makes us look better than we really are. And there's nothing sinful about that in itself. Every now and then, though, you know what this sackcloth was? I'm going to see a picture of myself the way things really are. I'm nothing special. I'm weak. And so Daniel, you see his contrition and how he approaches God. Look, if you would, very quickly, at Isaiah chapter 57, a verse we visit often. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. The Bible says, For thus saith the high, we looked at this just last week, Thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite. That word contrite means broken to pieces until it's pliable, until it's siftable, right? I dwell with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. You remember what David said to God in Psalm 51, that the sacrifices of God were a broken and a contrite heart? As we look at the term contrite, could God look down and say, yes, yes, your heart meets the definition of contrite. You have become broken-hearted, over your offenses against me as your loving God. I believe this. I believe we get disturbed over consequences for sin, but it's different to be contrite over sin. Don't miss what I just said. I see some of the things that happened in 2020, and they disturbed me as a Christian and as an American. But here's what burdens my heart is what has got us to where we are as a nation. Where people who have a firm testimony of faith in Jesus Christ can so easily ignore the commandments of Jesus Christ. That is sin. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. How much grief is there in our lives over prayerlessness? Do we believe that prayerlessness is sin? How grieved are we? We don't get grieved until we need something in prayer and we can't get it. I'm speaking generalities. I understand that everybody doesn't meet what I'm saying. I'm trying to say this. Contrition does not grieve over consequences. Contrition grieves over iniquities. I have not rendered to the Lord what he's worthy of. You say, well, that's why Jesus died. I understand. We're not trying to pay our sin debt. We're trying to understand why we need a Savior and be grateful that we have one. My point this morning is this. David or Daniel, he, he had great character, and that, that magnifies even more and clarifies what contrition is. 
Contrition is a brokenness in one's own spirit over their own state. Contrition can be over your own state. It can be over the state of the nation as it was with Daniel. But I want just to see a couple of things about this. The establishment of his contrition. What brought Daniel to chapter 3 to seeking God? He got in his Bible, verse 2. He read in the book of Jeremiah, the scripture he had available to him. He's pouring over the book of Jeremiah and he's pouring over the book of Jeremiah and he reads and you cannot read the book of Jeremiah without a heaviness creeping over your soul. It's a heavy book. Jeremiah has no fruit for his ministry to speak of. He preaches to the people and they ignore him. They say, we'll obey God. And when he tells them what God says to do, they say, God didn't tell you that. And they go ahead and disobey him anyway. What a ministry. Uh, Jeremiah lived a, a very, a very sad life, if you would, and Daniel had been reading in the book of Jeremiah, and he's reminded why he was sitting where he was at. He was reminded as to why he was sitting in Babylon. His fathers and his forefathers had ignored the word of God, and as a result and as a consequence, there were curses on them. Listen, I understand we're under grace today, but that does not do away with God's righteousness. Psalm 917 does still stand today. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. You and I need to step back, read our Bibles, and get a grip on why our nation sits and why our families as units and as an institution, why the institution of the family sits where it sits today. Listen to me this morning. Do you know why we have a culture that says it is not only okay but noble for sodomites to marry? It has not just to do what happened in the last 10 years, but what's happened over the last 75 years and 100 years. And we need to confess it as sin to God. Years ago, preachers in pulpits got to some inconvenient places in this book and said, well, our culture is changing, so it's okay to change the structure of our family. Don't you think that doesn't contribute to sodomy today? When mamas left home and abandoned children for money, I hope you hear me this morning, it was a sin before God when daddies relinquished their role of spiritual leadership and saying we're going to serve God, I'm talking about Christian daddies. You, you don't expect unsaved men to do that. Say, so, Pastor, those are minor issues. That's why we are where we are. When God's people said children are a curse and not a blessing because we love money, it was a sin. When God's people said probably there are some errors in that blessed old Bible, it was a sin. <laughs> I'm trying to say there's reasons we are where we're sitting today. How many of you saw some captivity in 2020? There are reasons for that. There are reasons bondage is coming on our nation. There are reasons churches have lost their voices. There are reasons. And it's called S-I-N. We have said, God, I know what you said, but that is not convenient. That hurts my pocketbook. That hurts my career. That hurts my future. That hurts the lifestyle I want to live. And so I know God says, but... And our salt has lost our savor, and our candles are under beds and bushels. Bushels because that's how you make money, and beds because that's where you get comfortable. Jesus said we hide our light under two things, beds and bushels. Money-making machines and comfort, pleasure-seeking places. (laughs) You say, what's this got to do with Daniel? Everything. Daniel is sitting in Babylon with some bondage and captivity in his own life. That was the result of generational sin. And he confessed it as so. He said, God, we've sinned. You know why we have 
We could go on and on and give you a number of examples of some things we have taking place among God's people today, the churches. We say, well, what you, know what you and I want to do? It's that culture. I, I, that's not what Daniel did. He said, I confess my sins and the sins of my people. You know what? I, I can't really confess somebody else's. I, I can confess what I'm responsible for. How many of us, if we thought we were a contributing factor to the corruption in our culture, it would disturb us? But if it's just the liberals and the Democrats, you see what Daniel could have said is, oh God, these wretched Babylonians. I'm going to tell you something. The Babylonians were wretched. They dashed babies against rocks. That's what the Bible says. They were wretched. How did Judah get exposed to such a people like that? The people who knew God turned their back on him. How have we gotten exposed to such influence by what we call the liberals today who hate God and hate our nation? We have part of that responsibility, friend. We have opened some floodgates to them by entertaining and accepting lies from Satan, lies from the world, lies from our flesh, over the Word of God. I'm trying to say this this morning before we move on to finish. The contrition in Daniel's soul, do you know where it, where it was established? Right here. He spent time in the written Word of God, and it affected him. I don't think I'm smart at all. I mean, I want to come across what I'm going to say correctly. But you can tell when somebody spends time in their Bible when they don't. I'm talking about sincerely in the Word of God. You can tell. Now, we can cover up and act like we do, but my point is this. If you're seeking God and His Word sincerely, it's going to change you. One of the things it's going to do is it's going to break your heart. It'll bring you to a place saying, the fact that God would have anything to do with us is his mercy. The fact, let's, let's do this very quickly before we move on. If we just took the law like an x-ray, I heard a man explain recently such a wonderful illustration that the law of God was never intended to save anybody. And it's true. It's what the Bible says. It's a schoolmaster. But it is like an x-ray machine. And when you use an x-ray, if I broke my leg, I broke my, my, my leg here and I went into the hospital and they said, we have to do an x-ray. I think, oh, good, you're going to fix it. And the doc says, no, you, you don't understand. X-ray won't fix anything, but it will show what's wrong so that you can be fixed. This morning, Daniel will, and we'll talk about his confession in a moment. It was very specific. He said, we have transgressed thy law. We have disobeyed. We have rebelled. How many of us could say, I do meet that criteria? I have known things that God commanded me to do, and I refused on purpose to do them. Knowing through the Word of God, what He expected of me. And I'm talking to Christians for a moment here. You're saved. You know your sins are forgiven. You're a child of God. I'll talk to anybody. If you're not saved, this law, this, this, is past, this is true for anybody. Let's just take our lives and compare it to what we know God has communicated in His Word as His expectation. So, for instance, honor thy father and thy mother. How many of us have ever intentionally disobeyed that commandment as a child or an adult? So could we say to God with Daniel, I have disobeyed you, God? How many of us know we're saved and we know that we are not supposed to covet, 
But there comes a point where we realize we are really wanting something really bad and God's not giving it to us. And instead of saying, God, I'm wrong, we just work harder to get it anyway. Could we confess with Daniel, Lord, you told me not to covet, but I have been, and I know it, I have disobeyed you. God says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. We're not to take the name of the Lord our God in vain. We remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And the fulfillment of that is that today Jesus Christ has done everything necessary for us. We are to rest entirely and completely in Him. My, my point to you this morning is this. There are those who are still defending their works, their religion, instead of resting in Christ. You say, where are you going with this? I'm trying to say to you, What happens often is we get our focus where it doesn't belong because we're not in God's Word, but Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. As Daniel got into the book of Jeremiah, and he was reminded that they were going to be 70 years in captivity, and he was reminded why it broke his heart. You and I would get in our Bibles today, we would understand our culture a whole lot better, and why we are living in the Babylon we're living in. This message is not about trying to repair America. It's not it. This message is about getting us as individuals right with God. Responding to Him as we should. So the establishment of His contrition was the Word of God. The expression, what was going on inside, came out outside. He said, because of what I've read in the book of Jeremiah, I've got to seek the Lord. And if I'm going to seek the Lord, I have no right to approach Him. I'm going to have to do it in sackcloth and ashes and with fasting and prayer. Now today, you and I, if we have the blood of Jesus Christ that's fully paid for our sins. We have boldness to approach. We are saved. But my point is this. How often boldness does not mean the lack of contrition. And so then, the establishment of his contrition was in the written word of God. The expression was in the way he worshipped God. Number three, we see his confession. Three things about his confession. I'm going to hit some high points here. It was sincere because he was genuine. He says repeatedly... He doesn't say in verse 5, they have sinned. He says, we have sinned. In verse 7, he doesn't say, give you know, unto them belong confusion of faces. He says, unto us belong confusion of faces. Verse 8, O Lord, to us belong confusion of faces because we have sinned. This is the uh, personal plural pronoun, meaning he included himself. Verse 9, we have rebelled against him. Uh, neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord, verse 10, verse 11, because we have sinned against Him, verse 13, our iniquities that we might turn, verse 14, we obeyed not His voice, verse 15, we have sinned, we have done wickedly, verse 16, our sins, and then verse 20, my sin, my sin. As I said, this is a conservative part of the world, politically a conservative church as far as I know, We could sit here all day and have a wonderful bash party on the liberals. And there are some things that are wicked that they are promoting. Don't misunderstand me, not for one minute. But sometimes that focus is to avoid what's wrong with us. Daniel could have had a bash party on the Babylonians and he'd got a lot of Jews to join him and they would have been right in everything they said. 
The Babylonians are vile. The Babylonians are pagans. The Babylonians are idolaters. The Babylonians are violent, wicked people. They shed innocent blood. They ought to be allowed on the face of the planet of God's good earth. But that's not what Daniel chose to do. Daniel said, Lord, we're here exposed to those Babylonians because we have sinned, our sins. Let me ask you this. The, the, and I'm not telling you we have power again. My goal is not to try to fix the country. I just want to be clear on that. But how many of us believe that the people in this room have some level of responsibility for the corruption of our culture? We do. Because listen, we're the light. We're the salt. Light and salt are both about keeping corruption out. You know what? Mold can't grow in the light, friends. Can it? Salted meat keeps disease out. Then the spread of corruption has to do something with the darkening and the loss of savor of us. We have something to own here. You know what? We need contrition. And that contrition then becomes a confession. Lord, yes, that crowd is this. and Yes, that crowd is this. But Lord, I know you want this. And I have been making every excuse under the sun not to do what I know you want. You let the Spirit of God fill in the blanks there. Lord, you told me not to do this. But you know on my own that's what I'm doing. You know I'm doing it. How about our confession, first of all, be sincere Number two, it needs to be specific. He said, we have sinned our iniquities. We have not turned to you when we could have. We have done wickedly. I mean, he names. He says, we have disobeyed. He even says, we have rebelled. Rebellion is to willfully do or not do anything I know to be God's will. And so then, because rebellion is not about ignorance. Rebellion is about will. His confession was sincere. It was specific. It was very sober. When you read Daniel 9, it does something to the heart and mind if we read it sincerely to say, my, that's what it does to me. If Daniel had to pray that way, where am I? Friend, I got an issue. If Daniel could walk in this room today, I would say, I'm done. <laughs> you preach. I mean, the man shadows over us, looms over us as a spiritual giant, and yet he says, our sins, we have sinned. We find a very sobering thought in his confession. And finally, the fulfillment of what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 4. We've seen his character. We've seen his contrition. We've seen his confession as sincere and specific and sobering. And let me just give you a few more words of the specificity of his, con- of his confession before we move on to finally his comfort. In verse uh, 17, he says, Now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate, for the Lord's sake. For your sake, Lord. The, the world's watching you, and for your sake, move and shine on us. Verse 18, O my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not, I've underlined this in my Bible, we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but for thy great mercies. Oh, if we can get a hold of that this morning. God, I am not asking you, Lord, I'm not asking you to breathe some fresh life into the churches of America because we are righteous. 
but because you're merciful. Oh, God, look after your name. Lord, I'm not asking you to, to shine light on Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church because we are better than the next church down the road or because we're the righteous people around here. We deserve the hand of God. No, we need God's mercy. We need God to give us and withhold from us what we deserve. Let me ask you, Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church, members of it, do have we earned revival? We have been such perfect Christians. We have such profound prayer life. Such v- v- uh, zealous soul winning. We, we love souls as much as the Lord Jesus. We are so concerned about eternal things that God should certainly shine light on us. I think not. But God is merciful. If God divvied out today all of us what we deserve, based on how we've responded to his authority and his righteousness. We wouldn't stand. But we have mercy in Jesus Christ. So, we come to our final point. A few more verses here, and we'll go down to verse 23. He says, verse 19, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. Meaning, we have offended you. We're the wrong, you're the right. You've been right, Lord, we've been wrong. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake, O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. And while I was speaking in the middle of his prayer and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, you know what he's doing? He's mourning and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation, and he informed me, and talked with me. God sent a messenger. Here it's Gabriel, not the Spirit of God. We have a better messenger. We have the Holy Spirit. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. So I'm going to give you more light. At the beginning of thy supplication, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art, what? Greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. You know what God does in essence? Same thing he does for John in Revelation 1 comes down and lays his hand on Daniel says, Son, it's okay. You are precious to me. Now, how did Daniel get such... He's got the angel Gabriel laying his hand on John gets it better than that. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. John is on his face in Revelation 1, having seen a vision of Christ. And Jesus comes and lays his hand on John and says, Fear not. How these men got such close communion with God? They mourned over what breaks God's heart. Amen? I don't know about you. I want God to say to me, Oh, you're beloved. You're precious to me. And friend, that's got to be preceded by some things on our part. We can't be wondering, Why does God let bad things happen to a person like me? Pardon me for a moment. What a stupid thought. Why does God let anything good happen to any of us? Honestly, do we are we so arrogant to think that God should treat us so well? How have we treated Him? Have we poured over His Word according to its goodness? Have we spent time with Him in prayer? Listen, how much prayer can we spend time in? I mean, honestly, Christian, how much liberty do we have to pray? How many times have we preferred something else other than God's presence? I'm confessing my own sin. What an awful thing. Then why should God do anything for me when I call to him? Lord, I'm having a bad day. Help me. And then when he doesn't help as quick as I think, well, I don't know what's wrong. Are you with me? It's, it's the way we operate. 
unless we get under the influence of that book, like Daniel did. And then we can start seeing things the way they really are. And we can say, no, God, to us belongs confusion of faces. We're the ones that have erred. We're the ones that have done wrong, not you. How many of you know churches in America, I'm talking about Bible-preaching, Bible-believing churches, are on the decline? I'm not making that up. It's just true. You talk to any missionary that's traveling the country, if churches are standing for this truth, the Bible is perfect and we can trust it. They're on the decline, generally speaking. They're becoming fewer of them. The ones that are getting popular are the ones that are preaching philosophy, not truth. Should that grieve us? Because as that happens, guess who gets misrepresented? Our Lord does. Our Lord gets misrepresented as somebody he's not. And Daniel says, Lord, I'm grieved. I'm grieved. Your city, Jerusalem, your temple is lying desolate and it makes it look like you're not alive. Lord, do something for your name. And so this morning, so it should be with us. I don't know about you. I want the comfort Daniel received. But blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. This morning, do we have anything to mourn over? Or is it all good? It's all good. Or are there things in my life? The Bible says in Genesis 6 that God looked on man's condition before the flood and it grieved him at his heart. Is there anything in my life that grieves the Holy Spirit of God? The Bible says in Ephesians 4, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed under the day of redemption. Ephesians 4.38 Quench not the Spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5. Is there anything in my life that, number one, I know? If I'm saved this morning, I'm without, more without excuse than the lost person is. And this morning, you say, I'm born again. I, I'm, I'm trusting the blood of Christ. I know I'm saved. Well, is there anything as God's child? that I'm not approaching like Daniel here? This morning you may be, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you. Let me say without equivocation, that grieves the heart of God. For you to reject God's Son and curse His wrath on you, and that ought to grieve you. Wherever you stand this morning, wherever you stand, I believe this. A message like this is broad enough that it's very applicable, but it's specific enough that I would say in our minds we have some very specific things brought to us by the Holy Spirit of God this morning. And if so, I'll always invite you. If God's speaking to you and you need to make a decision, I'll always invite you. Come, you kneel where you are. Come kneel here. But there's more to it than just that. It's a disposition of heart to say, you know what? I'm going to mourn when God's name is despised. I'm going to mourn over sin. I'm going to mourn over what grieves God. And then I'll expect he'll comfort me. (laughs) Amen? Without the mourning, there's not the comfort.